Ladies and gentlemen, he's back. Jeffrey Crumbaugh returning to the platform for his second episode. Glad to be here. We got you into the Wojo Walkthrough Studio. What do you think? Yeah, you've done a nice job with it, uh, Hayden. It looks great. Uh, it's um, uh, the, the equipment's great. The environment's very uh, relaxed and subdued, and uh, it's, yeah, you got a lot of uh, a lot of style going on here. So thank you. Before we get started here, I did want to say, in honor of the podcast today, I did bike to school. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Uh, uh, some of you may know. If you don't, I bike to school every day, whether it's uh, snowing or icy or whether it's warm. And uh, it could be a blizzard. You're yeah, still biking. Yeah. I, I I originally started biking to kind of make a statement to be more uh, ecological. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and I only biked during, uh, during the fall and the spring, never in the right. winter. Right. And then uh, some friends of mine from Finland, they said, well, you can buy carbide studded tires. You can, you can bike year round. So I said, well, I'll do that. I'll tough it out. And then I soon realized that, that biking to school is just a blast. It's fun. It's, a, it's just an yeah. awesome way to start the day, to unwind at the end of the day. It's like the best mm-hmm. form of... Uh, of uh, getting to work that you can imagine. So my commute is, uh, you know, 10, 15-minute commute on a bicycle right. every day. Right. I just wanted to honor you because I, I do respect that very much. And I do assure you the rising of gas prices had nothing to do with it. But that actually does make me curious, Mr. Crumbaugh. Have you been in a situation yet where people are complaining about the gas prices and you smirk to yourself because you know your ride home's a bike and you love it? Yeah, I don't know if smirk is the right word, but certainly uh, I, I think about that. I think, and speaking of Finland, I remember being in Finland and gas was like six six fifty a gallon, you know, converted <laughs> yeah. over from the from the, the liter, and not you you don't see kids driving their own cars to school there. Um, you do see a lot of people biking, biking to the library, biking and getting their groceries. Um, it's a whole different uh, culture. So, yeah, even today I, I, I told kids, I knew this was going to be unpopular, but I said, you know, I'm ready for gas to be six or seven bucks a gallon. I can go weeks without getting into a car. Because mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, in Clintonville, you can pretty much bike everywhere. I mean, it's pretty compact. It's now we don't have right. highways here. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's a pretty sustainable little town, even though it's off the beaten path. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I I think Americans are... Uh, a little too soft in that regard to whine about the price of gas when we have some of the cheapest gas in the world. Hmm. Um, but I I realize in some circles that that uh, may not make me very popular. But the bicycle is one of the best uh, technological inventions uh, of mankind. So. Do you think this could possibly push people to look for other ways of transportation? I mean, oh, you I could even be does. like electric vehicles, right? Yeah, I mean, eventually it will, right? So ideally, you you have an electric vehicle that's charged up with your solar panels at home, and right. And yeah. Most people only travel, you know, twenty five to forty miles a day anyway. Mm-hmm. So electric cars would be perfect for that. But there's a whole host of other things to think about too. I always think about community design. Mm-hmm. Why design a community where people have to get on a highway and go to work? Right. I mean, that's why I like living in a small town because you could I, technically I could walk to work. It'd take me about a half an hour to walk, right? Or bike, but uh, everything is close by. It's easy to get to, um, and I know it, this is somewhat idealistic. But if we design our communities differently, if we don't design our communities around a car, mm-hmm. think about how much more beautiful they are. You just think about right. erasing parking lots and replacing those with prairie or forest, narrowing the roads so they're very narrow. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, parking lot after parking lot after parking lot would be missing. I keep going back to Finland, but uh, when I was staying with friends in Olu, Finland, they, uh, they decided to um, block off a whole, a whole city block downtown, and the business owners were just outraged. They thought, we're going to lose business. We're going to lose business. How could you not even have uh, cars down here to park so they can come to our, our shops mm-hmm. and our restaurants? Well, they did it anyway, and it turns out that... Uh, business went up because that street that was blocked off or a couple streets that were blocked off all of a sudden that became a great place for people to hang out to walk to chat right. farmers markets uh, arts and crafts markets that was the they ended up with more customers mm-hmm. uh, than if there would have been noisy polluting vehicles driving up and down the street right I don't know if you ever heard about this but there is a city that's being built in Utah that's a so that's supposed to be uh, creating a more equitable and sustainable future 
uh, it's basically going to be the next New York City, the next LA. It's going to be a model city to uh, follow. Basically, the most economic, powerful city led by uh, green energy. And it's called Tolosa. Um, I have it here up on the monitor. Um, it's to create a new city in America that sets a global standard for urban living, expands human potential, and becomes a blueprint for the future generations. It just says, imagine a city where you always feel safe, welcome and included, jobs, you live where you work. Basically, what this city wants to do is combine environment and urban living. So they want to see, look at all these trees, look at all yeah. this green intertwined with the architecture of this city. So the the biggest factor of the city is being able to travel anywhere to any point of the city under in 15 minutes. That's yes, what they want to do. Right. I like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this could be the model. This could be the future of American cities. Um, I'm going to, I believe his name is Mark Lowe. That is, he's a billionaire entrepreneur. Um, and he wants to start this city to be an example for New York City, for LA, for Miami to follow to kind of have a more sustainable, more uh, transportation efficient um, city that, you know, when you think about it, think about LA right now, think about New York, major inflation, you have a lot of homelessness, prices are rising, and it, it's those cities, it's actually, you're paying the most to kind of have the most crucial day-to-day -day burdens, if you think about it. LA has one of the most intense uh, weather atmospheres in the world. I mean, when you think about the, the wildfires, the water that's always been, you know, the gray water that's been a concern there. It's really interesting that people are paying the most money to go live in the most um, intense situations. Yeah, and they're attracted to the culture, right? So the culture is, is, is amazing, but you're right. You have all this concrete. You have uh, air quality problems with the because there's so many cars. You have long commutes. Uh, people spending uh, significant portions of their day just sitting in a car in traffic, not moving anywhere. Mm -hmm. So the quality of life uh, is is poor. I'm right. I'm I'm glad that you brought in the idea of economic injustice too, because you have people who are homeless who uh, don't get to enjoy the the culture and the fruits of living in a, in a city as well. And it sounds like with Tolosa, they're thinking about that too, where it's inclusive. You're not right. you're thinking about. Um, uh, racial and ethnic justice issues, as well as economic justice issues, and you're tying it into the to the environment as well. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I hope that's the way of the future. I'm, it's fascinating when people uh, imagine, uh, use their imagination to create something that that's ideal. And right. um, in and this case, he probably has the resources probably to to, to move the idea forward. Mm -hmm. And. I think the biggest part about it is maybe seeing like really cool nature intertwined with skyscrapers, businesses. That's just more innovative, in my opinion. And right? the visual landscape is healthier too, right? So if you're looking at uh, billboards and uh, rundown buildings and endless parking lots, and uh, I mean that's just it's just ugly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think beauty is an important part of people's visual landscape. I mean, if you're right. exposed to, to, and natural beauty especially, because the research is pretty solid on that. The more you're exposed to natural uh, settings, uh, the less likely you are to have anxiety or or depression. Mm -hmm. um, even to the point where they, they design hospitals with big windows so people, so patients can look out and see nature. And the healing rates are faster. And to just kind of end this subject off, it just says that imagine a sustainable city where fresh water is stored, cleaned, and renewed on site. Renewable resources power the city. Imagine an open city where citizens are provided with honest and clear financials. The environment is always a priority. Citizens are informed and politicians are accountable. Imagine a city where every city has the best teachers and resources, quality training programs, prepare for the jobs in the future, easy access to personal care, and diverse housing options accessible to all, nature and safe public places bring people together, and people easily access within all a 15-minute commute, like I was talking about earlier. Right, right. Yeah. And this is built off of idea of basically equitism, uh, right? Equitism, yeah. right? No one is excluded. Everyone has uh, equal access to um, good housing, clean air, healthy food, good education, um, or or training programs. 
equal access to good health care. Uh, right. So we're, we're, we're not uh, excluding people from all of those all of right. those things. People describe those things as rights, but I think society is much healthier and happier. There's less violence. It's a cleaner environment when we allow everybody to participate. In addition to that, when you're inclusive, I mean, this is particularly true regarding immigrants in the United States. We benefit by having a greater diversity of ideas, mm-hmm. and when there's tough problems to solve, you need diversity of ideas, right? Because if right. one problem doesn't work, you've got to try something else. And when you have, when you have diversity and everyone in the, um, in the community uh, can contribute equally, you end up being able to solve problems better. So, When talking about having a healthier atmosphere, better um, health, better education, like these are very big issues in the States. Do you think like a city like Tolosa could really tackle these issues? Well, this is to be a model, right? So the right. other things that have to occur is that we have to see how we might retrofit the communities we already have. I think there's going to be a really interesting market for that. For example, mm-hmm. how would we take a, a, a city like ours, right? People have to take ownership of where they actually uh, live. And a small town like Clintonville, I mean, people don't uh, embrace it with as much uh, uh love as it as it should be but if you think about it we have a lot of green space here we have that 17 acre 17 maple seven maples area right in the middle of 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 town we Mm -hmm. have uh fairly decent parks some nature trails we could have more Mm -hmm. um and you can you can almost walk everywhere now there is that development on the south end of town that you have to drive to right there's the grocery store out there and there's Um, but imagine a community where you could, oh, and the, the uh, health clinic is out there too. But when mm-hmm. I first moved here, the health clinic was in the middle of a neighborhood. I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing. You, right. Where you could walk to the schools, you can, you can walk to everything. It's already fairly close-knit. Uh, but if you, and if you need to go to another bigger city for something, it's, it's a pretty easy commute. But almost everything is accessible within the small community. Now, there's some things we could probably do better, right, with like... Uh, I think we should have a community solar array. Uh, we might even have a, like a community-owned turbine to generate our own energy. Can you imagine if we were self-sustainable in regard to energy? Yeah. Uh, a big geothermal uh, area where we could, um, you know, for heat and and work as a community to to obtain that energy rather than having to worry about everyone having solar panels on their own houses. I mean, we could, but we could right. all network them together and and share the power. Right. So, what makes a city grow? financially and culturally is it basically the expansion of businesses coming to that city right yeah opportunities right economic Mm -hmm. opportunities right and the more jobs you have the more better opportunities for employment Mm -hmm. so i I don't really think in the past couple of years this is obviously just my perspective that i've seen a lot of business growth in this town no that that's probably if you want to shine the light on something that's really uh that needs uh, work is is we need more businesses right mm-hmm. we need to have a and that's been a failure of our leadership here in our communities we haven't brought in innovative businesses and there've been lots of good opportunities to do that but we're just not we're just not tackling that so i'm but, hopeful yeah. that the next generation will yeah. kick in and and uh and innovate uh and attract new businesses businesses like green space yes and they but they also like they also like the town to look good right in a sense like they want the housing like i feel like it has a lot to do with housing how that, that how that how that main street looks how the housing how people take care of their yards how they take care of their house i think has really a big part to do with do I want to move my business here or not? But, you know, what do, what do you think, like, behind the leadership, like, do, what do you think are some reasons why a business may not move here? Well, if we want to be, you know, complete in our list, uh, we are, you could say, well, we're, we're a long ways away from major highways to get our product to market, but we still have Walker Forge here that seems to do, mm-hmm. seems to be pretty successful. But you could say, you know, lack of access to, to, to trails, um, and green space. I mean, we have some. We just don't highlight it. Uh, there have been plans in the work for like a 26-mile green trail around the whole community that would interconnect so you could basically get out of town purely on a nature trail and connect with other trails, but we don't, we don't have that. 
our houses generally are old, um, in disrepair. Our downtown is uh, our shops. There's some nice shops, but for the most part, it's we have closed businesses um, mm. uh, in disrepair. So it's it's not appealing to the eye. Mm-hmm. We have a beautiful river that goes through the downtown, but again, there's nothing there to really get people to walk along the, the river or mm-hmm. the park system. We have Olin Park, but um, that could be right uh, and, uh, expanded. Uh, just to kind of simplify this conversation, what's your what's your view on wealth? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I don't consider it entirely economic wealth, although people do need in, in our society they do need some economic wealth in order to to uh, you know, to survive, right, mm-hmm. for housing and food and clean air and water. But um, uh, time, uh, access to uh, nature. Uh, for me, I, I love running uh, on trails. I love cross-country skiing, snowshoeing on trails. So if I have access to, to nature, that, that's wealth to me. So it's freedom in a way. Yeah, I mean, certainly... Uh, if you have more time available, that gives you more freedom to, to, to make your right. the choices. And you obviously know that can fall back to the economics because, you know, the more money you want, the more time you got to trade in. So right. it's really, I just feel like, you know, is people's perspective of wealth obviously is very, very different. It's, there's so many varieties of it. You can see people kind of um, weigh wealth as, like you said, economic, like money, or they can weigh it like as um, freedom, time, Mm -hmm. the ability to make your own choices and do whatever you want at that time. And it's just interesting how they kind of intertwine in a way, because if you want to have the freedom to make those choices, you do have to figure out an economic way where you can still make money and have the time to do those choices. Exactly. And most people think, well, I just need to make more money. They don't think there's a way on the opposite end, and that is to decrease your material needs. So if you mm-hmm. simplify your life, and you, if you own as little as possible, think about how this is just the opposite of the way most people think. Oh, I want to accumulate. I want a bigger car, bigger house, more, more, more. If you think, no, what's the least amount of stuff I can own and still have a, a decent uh, lifestyle, right. then I wouldn't have to work as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, could, I could still have a high quality of life on a, on a lower income. Right. And there are people that do that. I mean, if you go to like ski towns out west, there are people that work one season, mm-hmm. and then they have. And when I lived in Mammoth Lakes, California, there were uh, you know fellow ski instructors who would would teach skiing from November through April, and then they would drive down to Mexico and go surfing for a while, for, for a month or so, and then they would go either to New Zealand or to Chile to to the southern hemisphere to teach skiing down there and then they would you know spend some time kayaking it it was a, a pretty decent lifestyle but they never got wealthy cuz the, the jobs they were they had didn't make a whole lot of money but they were wealthy when it came to um time and being able to do you know fulfillment oh, yeah to do incredible things imagine going to work and you're skiing mm-hmm. uh, all day teaching people how to ski but you're basically skiing and then during your time off you're going you're surfing um it's it's a it's a different type of lifestyle but you have mm-hmm. to be willing and know how to live well on very little money do you think people get confused and kind of confused being happy and being fulfilled as the same thing as yeah and i don't think that i think people sometimes overvalue happiness if you think about the times where you're truly truly happy it's not it's not very often and i mean either you strive for those times but if you really want to be honest about it, most of the time you're working pretty hard or you're dealing with a problem, trying to solve something, mm-hmm. um, and it may not be pleasant. Um, and so I think we t- overvalue um, being happy. Um, so, yeah, you're right. You, we confuse being fulfilled with being happy. Right. Um, fulfillment, you might, I mean, we, we might have slightly different definitions, but to be fulfilled, uh, you should be, Ideally, you have work that's uh, meaningful and has purpose. Mm-hmm. May not always be happy, right. but but right. you are making a difference, and you're contributing to society uh, in a meaningful way. You can't be happy if you've never been sad, right? It it, it kind of reminds me of soccer in a way. When the opposing team scores a goal, that doesn't make you feel good. That makes you feel sad. 
but when your team scores the goal, that just makes that feeling all the much better. Right. Vice versa effect mm. that really makes the prime of those feelings. And like you said, sad usually is more often is more of an often occurrence than the happy feeling. But that's why the happy feeling is so much better to right. strive for. Right. Yeah. Right. right. To kind of get back on wealth, we're kind of seeing, talking economic-wise, we're seeing a lot of billionaires in our society kind of use wealth as unleashing childhood dreams, like uh, going to the moon or, you know, creating rocket ships, whatever. So I guess my question is, if you had a billion dollars, Mr. Crumbaugh, would you be on the moon right now? No. No? <laughs> They, uh, when you have that much personal accumulation of wealth and you're using it just to satisfy some sort of boyhood uh, dream, mm -hmm. um, and that's the downside of, of having a, an economic system that allows you know, unlimited personal accumulation of, of wealth. Well, do you agree that a lot of billionaires are using their money to serve their self-interests rather than societies? Oh yeah, okay. I think I think something happens when you accumulate a certain amount of wealth. I think, uh, and there's some research that support this, where um, you begin to be less empathetic, less concerned with the needs of other people, and more narcissistic. So I think that's a disease that accompanies uh, excessive material uh, wealth. Right, and but what makes somebody like uh, follow through with that? Just the pure feeling of power. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have, I'm not sure. I think at some point you begin to think, well, if I have this much wealth, then I must be great. Um, yeah. um, and I must be important. And uh, I think you also become more insulated from from everyday people. Right. So you don't see the everyday suffering and right. struggles that people are going through. And when you don't see those, if you're unaware of them, mm -hmm. you're less sensitive to them. So you become less empathetic. I know last episode, Mr. Crumbo, we were recording in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. Fast forward a year later, Russia invades a sovereign country. We're living in very crazy times, Mr. Crumbo. So what's your opinion on this kind of just change of tides and the times we're living in right now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very disconcerting in, in a time where we've got some big issues we have to confront, right? Like, mm -hmm. like climate change and economic inequality and uh, racial inequality um, and and here we have a world leader um, unprovoked uh, violently attacking civilians in in uh, in, in Ukraine um, yeah it's, it's 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 very bothersome and it's uh, the first time since World War two that you basically seen a invasion of a European country true true the uh, I mean, there's been other smaller examples of, of, of that happening, mm -hmm. uh, but this is probably the larger scale where you have an unprovoked attack. I mean, you had the Crimean Peninsula. In 2014, actually, the conflict in Ukraine has been going on since around 2014, maybe even before that. Also, at the, before that time, the leader of Ukraine was uh, uh, Russian-friendly, Viktor Yarvarenko, but he, and he, but he wanted to... Um, make some more significant connections to the EU, which the people wanted. And I think uh, Putin kind of put the crackdown on that. But people in, in Ukraine uh, were upset when he reneged on his deal to uh, establish uh, more formal ties with the European mm -hmm. Union. And they, they protested. They drove him out of the country. And he, right. he escaped to, to, uh, to, to Russia. And then Ukraine became more democratic. And it was a, a success story. But now, here we are, what, eight years later, well, what do Putin you, is invading. What do you think Putin's main motivation is to invade? Well, he states that uh, this historical idea that the uh, Ukraine was once part of the, the very powerful USSR, mm -hmm. United Socialist Soviet Republic, and I think he wants to, since he was a former KGB agent in the glory days of the USSR, yep. he wants to reestablish that you know, power in sort of mm -hmm. a megalomaniac kind of way. Um, so I, th I think he's um, living in a very distorted reality right. uh, in that regard. 
Um, the other thing you have to consider is you have a lot of gas pipelines that go through Ukraine too. So I think that hasn't been in the news, but a lot of the gas that travels from Russia into Europe, there's a number of important gas lines that travel right through Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And Ukraine um, has, there's some economic gain from from hosting those pipelines there. Right. So I think that if I wanted to be comprehensive in my thinking, uh, energy uh, plays a role in mm-hmm. this as well. So I, what do you think about this KGB quote? Once a KGB member, always a KGB member. Do you think Putin still kind of has the same motivations he did in the KGB? Yeah, and there's evidence for that too, right? It just seems <laughs> yeah. like he, the, any sort of lack of uh, compassion, he's, he's been known, there's evidence that he's poisoned people. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the t- tactics that he's right. not even hesitant to use mm-hmm. are classic KGB Right. strategies right and i think i think he almost feels cornered in a way because the expansion of nato which is you know the the military alliance of the european nations the united states he basically feels that basically ukraine is kind of that gateway between it because earlier this past year uh, president Zelensky met with biden just kind of curious about uh what would it look like if their nation was to join nato and obviously, that's very soon after, that's when Russia started filling the borders with troops. And that was the main indicator, in my opinion, of why, you know, Putin is like, no, no to this. And what Putin, I think, in my opinion, is doing is saying, I have the most nuclear warheads in the world, so I'm going to act like it. It's autocratic. And it's, it's, it's a scary situation, because I don't see it dulling down anytime soon. And I do want to show you a video of uh, Zelensky just basically addressing the United States Congress last night. So that was Zelensky addressing Congress, you know, obviously about how there is so many innocent Ukrainian civilians being just dismantled in this war. And he's just not addressing U.S. Congress. He's addressing Canada's. He's, he's all over. You know, what I think of this is that how can you be, how can President Biden really be the the peace leader of the world if if any way he gets involved in this world war three even though i do think the pure leadership that has been shown in ukraine by Zelensky, it's been inspiring i don't think it should get to a point where it's motivating enough where we should get into a world war three that's my opinion but i don't know what you think about that well let me start with a quote from my mother <laughs> she said, uh, "Rich men start wars, and poor people die in them." And and here we go. Here's history again. It's the same thing is happening, right? Yeah. Innocent uh, women and children and men in Ukraine are are dying. There's no reason that they should be dying at all. It's being started by one of the wealthiest men in the world, uh, Vladimir uh, uh, Putin. Mm-hmm. You're right. At some point, we have to. I mean, we have to look at a future that does not involve military conflict. At some point, our species has to evolve to the point where we can solve problems without... Uh, Aggressive um, nature. Yeah. Exactly. War. Yeah. yeah. And so we have to use our imagination to imagine how, how could we establish peace uh, with Russia. And this has been ongoing, right? I mean, uh, Stalin uh, tried starving the people of Ukraine um, you know, almost a hundred years ago. Um, so this has been going on 
for uh, a, a long time. So the Russian culture is an amazing culture. If you think about the music and the ballet and the arts and the vision and the, and the literature. And I, mean, I really heard there's, there's really such a love for science in Russia too. Yeah, especially in physics. Um, some of the best physicists in the, in the world are from Russia, um, aerospace engineering, mm -hmm. uh, just, just brilliant. Um, uh, the uh, inventor of the periodic table, Dmitry Mendeleev, was, yep, was yep. from Siberia. Um, uh, great composers like Tchaikovsky and Stravinsky, um, and great writers, uh, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Nobel Prize winning uh, author, Boris Pasternak. Uh, Russia, Russia's history is rich with uh, artists and, and writers and musicians who have contributed greatly to world culture. And I think if we uh, focus on that, I mean, it's, it sounds kind of naive, but if we focus on the best in our culture, uh, then maybe that might be a way to, 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 to start. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously with people uh, like Vladimir Putin in the right. way that are, have created so much well, suffering in the world, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult hurdle to get, get over. Not much happens in Russia without Vladimir Putin, uh, just to quote Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really uh, just a awfully uh, dictatorship kind of ran country and uh, the russian people this is my kind of i don't think they really want this war i think they're really being hit in the light on this the censorship in russia right now is a serious problem and they're literally being fed information that's being channeled that's being overviewed that's being manipulated it's really a situation where a lot of Russians think there is no war right now. We're just getting our sovereign land back, and they don't even... I, I just feel like the information they're being fed, they don't know the whole story. No, they don't know the whole story. They're very, very sophisticated at propaganda. And if you have a population that... majority of the population doesn't think critically or they're not as well-educated as, 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 as you'd like, there's a, they're vulnerable to the propaganda. Um, that's why one of the greatest things we have in this country is, you know, independent press. Although we, we still suffer from propaganda and, and media manipulations and, right. and social media has kind of, uh, put the, uh, the accelerator to the floor in terms of the growth of misinformation. It's very, it's profitable. You can, you can make a lot of money with misinformation. But, but what do you right, think, Mr. Crumbaugh, what's the effect? Cause we haven't really seen something like this with social media, like, People are constantly seeing buildings getting shelled in Ukraine on their phone. Like they're going on Instagram and every other video is yeah. bloody Ukrainians, just buildings destroyed. Like what kind of effect is this going to have on the people constantly looking at this? Well, you hope, you hope it, uh, it, it develops a greater uh, empathy and awareness for the suffering of people in another country halfway right. around, the, around the world. Mm -hmm. um, but even people in, in Ukraine who are contacting their relatives who still live in Russia... Uh, when they contact their relatives, their relatives say, "Oh, there's there's not a war there. They're you're, they're liberating the Ukrainian people. They're helping the Ukrainian people. That's how powerful propaganda is. Mm -hmm. So you could have, you know, they could be bombing maternity right. hospitals and, and and apartment buildings and and schools and hospitals. And people in Russia have, have no idea that it's going on. And I've read um, articles basically saying uh, Russian uh, captured Russian soldiers." We're told the exact same thing that we've came here to liberate this country, and with the, there's reports of them just being absolutely confused when there's crowds of Ukrainian people screaming, "Go back home! Go back home!" <laughs> Obviously, once you get to Ukraine, there's there there's such a there's such a pride there right now, mm -hmm. and these Russian soldiers really, I think, are confused. I think they're baffled, and they really don't have the. They I don't think they. They don't want it more, if that makes sense. No. In fact, it's interesting that you, you say this because uh, you could teach a year-long university course on lies that lead to war, right, in order to get people, because most people don't want to go to war. Um, in fact, Russia right now even uses a lot of mercenary forces, private companies that train soldiers, because people, I mean, if you're a farmer or you're a teacher or you're, you're living in a small town, you, you want to leave and go fight in a, a violent conflict that 
um, you don't believe in. Mm -hmm. uh, but if someone convinces you that it's that it's uh, important, they lie to you about it, and so right. you go and you go and you're fighting that war, and then you discover, oh, I've been lied to. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm fighting a war that's um, that's that really shouldn't be fought. You can imagine how uh, distraught and confused right. uh, soldiers are. So yeah, how do you, how does Putin get people to fight a war that's that's unprovoked and unjust? You need propaganda. Right. And this is not something that's new. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's interesting because we're actually seeing. We're actually seeing some Russians recognize this and stand against it. Um, Anti-war protester crashed Russian TV broadcast appears in Moscow court. Um, the woman who crashed Russia's state news broadcast Monday night to protest the war was fined 30,000 rubles. Am I saying that right? Rubles? Mm -hmm. Rubles. So um, basically what this woman did was go on a Russian bro broadcast and held up a sign that said, No war. And... Russia, they don't really have a freedom of speech, in a way. If you do anything that's kind of outside the political norm, you're jailed, you're poisoned, you're outcasted. It's, it's a really dangerous situation for Russian citizens, too, that really want to kind of... And we're not even talking about the economic uh, situation they're under right now. Yeah, so the people will suffer, right? So you wonder whether uh, that's going to affect Putin at all. I mean, obviously, he's wealthy and insulated. Um, so he'll be able to live his opulent lifestyle um, irregardless. Um, so I, I, I think the strategy is you just hope that eventually the, the, the people that are surrounding Putin see the outrage and the economic fallout and, uh, and take some action to remove him from, from power. I mean, that's the, that's the strategy. But you're right, the, the inequity is, is uh, right there. Putin's not going to feel the economic pain. It's going to be the... Um, these citizens of Russia that are, are going to feel it. Technically, we've already entered warfare because warfare can be very different things, right? Biological warfare, um, ground warfare, air warfare. But this is extremely economic and financial warfare, mm -hmm. right? We're attacking their country's finances. We're, we are finding a way to hit them without people dying. Right. How far can that go, though? And with President Zelensky basically addressing Congress saying, we need you to take the lead in this. We need you to be the peace bearers of the world. Sure, that's great. We want that. But if we take the peace bearers of the world, could that just move us into a situation where it forces World War III, where people start turning on each other? Who says America gets to be the peace bearer of the world, right? We've already seen what happens when America goes over to Europe or goes over to Asia and tries nation building. It doesn't go well. And it's a tough situation because I really think the leadership right now in Ukraine with Zelensky, it's, it's really pure leadership. And I don't know if you've seen, I think this is correct, but... The person Zelensky ended up beating in his election is now side by side with Zelensky fighting in this Ukraine war is basically his general. And they're just so united. Yeah. When you look at our nation, how many things are just dunted because politics gets in the way. So many things are opportunities just gone like that because you have a different political view Yeah. there. It's life or death. It's pride. It's nation. It's togetherness. It's. It's really beautiful, and I think, because you need to look at these situations not all in the negative sometimes. You need to pull some positive out of it, and me and you had a discussion uh, yesterday saying how that's always not the case because a lot of people get their information from social media, which really focuses on negative content because that pulls a reaction, that gets the view, that supports the algorithm to get more money. But um, if we really look at this war, like you were saying, that uh, it's just... Innocent people are getting hurt. Let's be more fortunate that we live in a place where we do have security. And if there's any way we, we, we can do in this situation, it's just educate yourself, you know? Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, while we have division in this country, which is unfortunate, it makes you suspicious about the origins of our division and, and what's inflaming our divisions. But in terms of admiring Ukraine, you're right. Uh, great leadership, great unity. Um, I admire the resilience and durability and toughness yeah. of the Ukrainian people, the, the, um, 
the approach toward life of just you, you, when when things get extremely tough, you get very, you you respond to it with with toughness. Um, that's that's to be deeply admired, and uh, so we may learn some really important lessons. It's uh, definitely going to go down in the history books. That's yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. Some of Zelensky's quotes have just been really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, United States offered to evacuate him. He said. I don't need a ride. I need more ammo. Like mm-hmm. that's definitely going to go down in the history books yeah. of just being like that sort of leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, it. That's what pulls people together. I don't know. It, it, when looking at the situation, it's it's awful, but you can look at it in a way where you do gain some sort of education or understanding of how the world works. Mm-hmm. So, how do you think this is all going to end up? In your opinion? Oh gosh, you know, most in most situations, I can m- make a prediction and have be w- pretty <laughs> yeah. well informed. But I have no idea how this is gonna work out. It, it could go a number of different ways. So, but you're asking me, and I'll, I'll I'll speculate. So, uh, I think eventually, um, I mean, this could change everything, right? Yeah. So this could change everything, and I hope it changes things for the better. So I'm gonna be hopeful. But I think this is going to finally be the straw that breaks Putin's back. And one way or another, there could be many different ways that, where he falls. But I think Putin is eventually going to fall. And Ukraine will win. And Ukraine will be victorious. Uh, and it will be a model for um, you know, democracies in that part of the world. And I also think it will be a, a reinvigoration of democracy around the world. It will wake people up to say, you know what, the freedoms that we have, uh, democracy, uh, um, uh, it could be in danger unless we um, rise up and protect it and be aware of how uh, important it is. So I'm I'm hopeful, um, and we'll have to do another podcast if, if this happens and we can revisit it. Get the but after reaction. I think, I think even though there's uh, going to be a lot of struggle, violent struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, goodness will eventually triumph in the end. Right. I I do believe in a way that when it comes to... Can we look at like some little bit of like s- symbolism? When Every time you see a, a picture of Zelensky, he's surrounded by soldiers. He's in he's in a vest. He's in a war suit vest. He's or, constantly or in a green t-shirt. Right. Right. Are, yeah, he's casual. Not suit and tie. Right. And then you look at Putin, he's all alone in this humongous room full of wealth. Mm-hmm. Basically video of him is him sitting at this gigantic table that's 20 feet long. He's on the head of it and the person he's meeting with it is on the other head. And it's just like I think this can symbolize almost how these leaders are and when you look at the last century autocratic dictatorships did have their way they invaded land they killed people they raised their money so i think what you're saying is is there does that change this century do we stop that autocratic dictatorship and ruling by aggression is this the century where we finally can change the tides and democracy will grow from that if that if we prevail yeah because it's so outrageous and so horrific, and and because we do have something I normally don't talk positively about, we do have social media, which is ubiquitous. Now we can inform people all over the world, you know, yeah. uh, just how horrific uh, this is, and finally put an end to these these uh, violent conflicts instigated by wealthy, powerful people, which end up killing a lot of. Mm-hmm. You know, hardworking, poor people. Can we finally put an end to that now? Right. Yep. Uh, do we finally have the tools and the awareness, right? Right. To finally say, you know what, this it, en- enough is enough. Without a nuke being launched, right? I mean, that's. I think that's the biggest thing. But at the end of the day, do you really think nuclear, nuclear bombs have come down to just threats? How do you mean? When we look at the Cold War. It was just basically saying we've got big guns, and uh, and then the other side saying we got bigger, then the other side saying we got bigger. It was basically a race, nuclear warhead race. Now we're seeing a situation where Vladimir Putin is saying if any, if there's any foreign interaction, we will launch a nuclear missile. 
do you think he's true to that statement, or do you think that's just a threat? Uh, there, are, I, I don't, I don't know, because I don't. I was I, hoping you would. Yeah, the the logical part of my mind says no, it because it's not in his best interest, because uh, it's. The whole idea of mutually assured destruction is one, one deterrent on his part. But if, if in in his evil mind, if he wants Ukraine and all of its all of its wealth and rich soils and agricultural uh, wealth, then what good is it going to do to grow wheat when it's been contaminated with, you know, right. cesium one thirty seven from fallout from a nuclear weapon? So I don't mm -hmm. think that. Yeah, you know, even in the mind of an evil dictator, that he would go that far, but you know, uh, you, you never know. I guess the thing I I do want to dive a little into is how the nuclear. I think everyone just kind of thinks when they think of the end of the world, they just go straight to nuclear bomb. But I think by looking at history, it you don't need you don't need nuclear warheads to burn down societies. You just need a match. And gasoline in the right place at the right time. Right. If you look at 9/11, right? Mm -hmm. Just an explosion. You know, the amount of people died, but in that place at that time, it caused just it, the whole world felt that it felt. Mm -hmm. And it you don't need that threat of nuclear warheads or even the well, obviously the the action of it would be pretty uh, detrimental. But I'm saying like. Nuclear warheads isn't the only thing that can take nations down, and it's not only the it's not only the the, the um, one of the things that can take down nations or something that's catastrophic, right? Um, but now we also have something that's even more real. Ultimately, is with climate change, right? Climate yeah. change is going to be catastrophic for many people. It already has been catastrophic, and and uh, but you're right. I mean, that's a very good observation that we have. Uh, things that rival nuclear uh, explosions in terms of how catastrophic they could be. Right. You could even think about, uh, you know, how do you manipulate uh, 150 million people to all think in a in a to believe a lie and have them behave like what's happening in Russia right now. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that could be catastrophic too. What if people uh, all believe something that isn't true and act upon it? Trump won in the election. That could be no. ca that could be catastrophic as well, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And and very threatening. We saw that with the Capitol uh, riot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's a perfect example of it. Um, do you think, like around like 2070, 2080, you see more people in the states moving towards Wisconsin and the midwestern area, kind of getting away from the coasts and the most extreme atmosphere, um, weather climates in the states? Do you think? Oh, that's a that's a good. Um question because here in Wisconsin even though we've seen lots of changes occur over the past 20 30 40 years in terms of our local climate here they're not nearly as dramatic as they are in other places we're, we're in a decently good spot we're, we're kind of insulated from that here in the yeah. Great Lakes our our climate is moderated so yeah you may see that I was I, I think that's a real possibility where you see, may see a, a lot of growth and I think in some places that growth may actually be welcomed and imagine a lot of small towns in uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa that have been dying slowly over the years even our population here in Clintonville is going right. down so um, and so that's how we get the businesses here mr. Crumbaugh and it's it's an unfortunate reality though because it's you know but that could be it that could help us get a little bit of business going around exactly Clintonville. <laughs> exactly they, they, this the uh, uh, catastrophe strategy, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, it could work. And um, well, thank you very much for coming in to the Wojo Walkthrough Studio today, Mr. Crumbaugh. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, these are very big topics, but um, I, I think me and you've tackled them very well. And the thing is, I do want to say is that I never met anybody like you that just has, um, you're able to kind of look back and really look from any perspective and you really value that. I guess the thing I always wanted to mimic you in a way is how, going back to our conversation, how you value that freedom in your life, that ability to just do what you love, that drives you in life, the ability to do what you love. 
And, you know, obviously, I'm in a younger point in my life where I don't really know all that I love yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I want to be a person that when I figure out what I love, I want to act on it. Because that's the biggest thing you could do is act on it. Yeah, actions, uh, I know it's, it's said too often, but actions speak louder than, uh, I, you know, beliefs, right? What you do really uh, represents who you are as a person. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, actions are absolutely critical. Right. Uh, and they're necessary, of course, to move us move us forward. You know, it's interesting. As as a teacher, uh, a lot of teachers complain about teaching. Ah, kids these days. I'm uh, in exactly the opposite camp. When I get up in the morning, I get to go and and teach and interact with bright, young, talented young people who are growing intellectually, growing socially. And it's remarkable. It's a remarkable job to have to see that that growth, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's been fascinating to watch you and your mind and your intellect grow. Now developing your own business and your own podcast, and and really uh, really blossoming in, in in that way. So this this is meaningful to me as well too to see. Uh, your progress with uh, with the walkthrough. Thank you, I appreciate it. And this is kind of a tough question. You don't have to answer it if you yeah. want. But how long are you thinking you're staying at Clintonville? Are you're not even near the end yet? Well, uh, you don't I, have to give an exact no, quote. It, you're you've always been someone who's appreciated honesty. So I was actually planning on retiring this year. No, I was planning on retiring this year. And you know what happened? I, I. This year, I have two biology classes, three yeah. chemistry, a physics class. And the students I have are just incredible students. I have some really yeah. bright, talented, innovative uh, students. And so they're the ones who changed my mind. I'm thinking, oh. I, I got to come back for at least another year yeah. because this is just got too to. much fun. Mm-hmm. This is just too much fun. <laughs> right. And, uh, uh, and I, I really love doing it. Obviously, it has its drawbacks, and, and mm-hmm. every job has its drawbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, man, the, the joy that comes from going to uh, work every day and, and being with young people who right. are bright and, and eager to learn. And uh, not that they don't go through occasional struggles, but they, they, they make it. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to stick around for at least one more year. Awesome. Yeah, because Clintonville definitely wouldn't be the same without Jeffrey Crumbaugh. Um, and you're coming back for the right reason, for the students. The right. students made exactly. you come back. And exactly. It's awesome to hear. And um, once again, thank you very much. Jeffrey Crumbaugh, ladies and gentlemen. I just wanted you to know.